Hello and welcome to Criterion Close Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West as always. And Aaron, uh, we are going back into the archives, something we thought would never see the light of day. We're going to go back in time. <laughs> back in time. Hey, that's a Huey Lewis song. It's also a movie too. We're going back to the future actually. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a special episode. Special in a lot of ways actually. Special for yeah. you? Special for them? Special for us, I guess. I don't know. I mean, pe- people that listen to it might think it's not so special, but it, we'll it, see. It might suck. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened. Uh, you want to give some background uh, how this came about? Yeah. I mean, this was, uh, boy, what was the year? Because it it's, it's funny because it, it was actually um, similar around this time of year. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we were talking – well, we <laughs> – we just talked about doing Criterion Close-Up, and we wanted to get an episode in the can, so to speak. And so we just picked a movie to watch mm-hmm. and talk about, not thinking that it would ever be released. And it it hadn't really up until this point, but, uh, you know, here it is. It was really just our first time kind of getting to – we've talked on Skype, but getting to know each other and um, figuring, well, let's, let's talk about a movie. And I mean, as far as Criterion goes, it's probably a good one to – to start with rather than mm-hmm. getting into some Bergman or something to something that's a little bit easier. So yeah, it was yeah. actually 2015. So, uh, nice. Yeah. So Excellent. It's okay. a little more than a couple of years ago, but it, yeah, I know it, we've been, it feels like we've been doing this a, a while, but, uh, I know it feels like even longer than two years, but yeah, it's funny. Yeah. So this was just really us getting to know each other. And then this was my, my first attempt at editing a podcast. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> so my memory of it is, uh, you know, basically see if we had a rapport and, you know, could, figure could out the direction yeah. of this show. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we might not be as seasoned as we are now. Um, <laughs> although you, you had been doing podcasts uh, for a while. I, I was uh, pretty new at it. Um, and as far as the editing goes, I was very new at that. And I was basically <laughs> learning <laughs> by tr- trial by fire. So, yeah, um, great way to learn. And and I, th- I had a lot of trouble. I basically had to tweak the volume so much, and I, I think I got it to a listenable condition, but I basically said, Mark, <laughs> this episode is garbage, and because we, <laughs> we, we thought about, oh, you know, we had a good time, had a good discussion, why don't we release it? But uh, yeah, the technical reasons were, were so I don't know. I haven't listened to it again. I don't, it might um, it might have echoes and volume problems. It might be just you might turn it off in five minutes and say, "All right, right, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah, nice try, guys." But yeah. <laughs> amateurs, yeah, I can even remember how we recorded. I, I think we recorded the same way we we do now, which is you know amazing. But um, yeah, I think we did. Yeah. And so, but I saved it and I put I, I put it on Dropbox and and I've left it on Dropbox. And I, so I, every time we do an episode, I see the rows out there, and it's that. That long lost episode. Uh, although I should say that uh, Trevor listened to it. He he basically was our, our proofreader. That's he, right. He, That's right. He, he thought it was really good. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Tre- Go figure. Was he just being nice? Or? He was being nice. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We, Trevor's a nice guy. So he is a very nice guy. <laughs> if it's terrible, we our feelings will not be hurt. <laughs> we yep. just yep. Just turn it off, and uh, you know you don't even have to let us know that it was awful. Just <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, you can let us know. I, actually, I'm curious <laughs> what people think how, how awful I it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and especially compared to the later stuff, it's expected it would not be as good. Right. So, uh, all right, without further ado, The Rose. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hello and welcome. My name is Mark Herney and I'm here with my co-host and uh, Aaron West of Criterion Blues. How is Mark, it going, Aaron? Good, good. Uh, are you ready for some uh, Rose action? I am always ready for some Rose action and some Bette Midler action. Uh, Mark, you are the uh, wind beneath, or is it beneath or behind? You are the wind... You are my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever know that you're my hero? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, it's nice to know that I'm the, the wind beneath your wings, Aaron. I, uh, Thank you. You, you. you are the wind behind my wings. I'm not a bet, big uh, Bette Miller, Miller fan, if, uh, if you didn't get that impression already. Really? Uh, this, this film notwithstanding. So. Um, mm, okay. Well, that's good to hear, because I, I, I guess I'm not a big fan either, but I've kind of came around uh, with, with this film, for sure. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say I'm a hater. Uh, I, I would just say she's, you know, Beaches, and um, I'm trying to think of what other films she's done uh, in the 80s and 90s, but I, I, I think her, she's not an art film kind of kind of celebrity. No, it's funny and, to kind of go back to this and see where she's been. I mean, Hocus Pocus, uh, Beaches, like you mentioned, I mean, but, uh, you know, on the... Uh, on the extras, you know, the interview, I remember her saying this was her favorite. This was her best experience. So, you know, we've and got you know, I was actually reluctant to uh, get into the rose because of my feelings towards Bet, uh, knowing that this was a 70s rock star. Um, you know, I, I grew up with the Beaches Bet, and it's the, the Bet that I know does not seem like the one that could pull off the hard rocking and I don't want to say Janice, although I'm sure we're going to get there. Uh, so I, I, I was surprised. Uh, this bet was uh, pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I felt the same way. I mean, just seeing seeing her on stage, it was pretty pretty crazy. To uh, I going in, I'm like, how is, how is she going to pull this off? And uh, she she does it in spades. But let me just uh, it all. I'll set up the film a little bit. You know, of course, we're talking about Criterion uh, films on this this podcast, and uh, this is a new release for Criterion. Um, they had never, as I said, released this film before. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of, you know, past releases it had had, but uh, this is a, a new one to the collection. It was new to me from 1979. Um, I'll just give a little synopsis. It's the tragic life of a self-destructive female rock star who struggles to deal with the constant pressures of her career and the demands of her ruthless business manager. So, and uh, of course, starring the Bette Midler um, so it's, uh, it, as I said, it's new to the collection, came out in May, spine number 757, and, uh, we thought we would kind of get this podcast going, talking about this film, so. And this is actually our first, so, uh, good to talk to you, Mark. So. Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's, we've been planning this for a while, it's good to, good to get on the, on the show together, so. Good to dig in. Um, yeah, also had uh, Alan Bates. I don't know if you've seen a lot of... Uh, he was in Far From the Madding Crowd. Uh, he was in Women in Love, uh, British actor. I think he was a stage actor. Um, I think this was a little bit of a departure for him uh, from what I've seen. And then we had Frederick Forrest, who I thought was amazing. Um, but I haven't... I don't recall seeing him in a lot of other films. Uh, and we had Harry Dean Stanton in a very small role, but very important role. Right. Yeah, I remember Harry Dean from, uh, especially from um, Paris, Texas. Loved him in uh, that film, another another Criterion film. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, you're kind of, you know, you're talking about one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, Aaron. I mean, as far as standout performances, it seems like this this film is 
uh, a lot of people have the same performances that they enjoyed or appreciated. And I'm, I'm curious which ones kind of stood out for you. I think actually it was a pretty good ensemble film. Um, the, the one uh, I think at the, at the core is Bette Midler. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned, I had my doubts whether she could pull it off. And, and I think a 70s rock star uh, in, this was 1979 or 1980, really towards the end of that era as we got into the 80s um, uh, aesthetic, you know, I guess new wave uh, pop. I wasn't sure that she could pull it off, but I, I thought she really was fantastic. Not just her performances, which I thought she she did a good job, uh, but I thought just her acting. I th- I think she really did crawl into the character. Uh, she showed the her insecurity. I think extremely well. Uh, her neediness. Her uh, and also when she was on stage, you could see how how much that meant to her, and that's really where she got her fix. Uh, the stage really was her drug, so to speak, and then and that actually, off the stage, her problems stemmed from having that emptiness. And I think, uh, you know, through her relations w- with uh, Houston, which was Frederick Forrest, I think we really saw that. Um, and then uh, also Frederick Forrest as Houston in a smaller part, I thought was fantastic. Um, and didn't he get nominated for... He did. Both both Bette Midler and Frederick Forrest were nominated. They didn't win, but were nominated. There were uh, the one scene uh, in particular that really I thought worked well between those two was in the bathhouse. Uh, sure. Uh, very uh, emotional scene, and I, I, I think it uh, really established the character motivations right there. Um, played well. And I'd also, I also think Alan Bates was pretty good in the type of character he was supposed to play uh you know he of course he didn't didn't have the emotional range you know he was a businessman he was really uh, pulling the strings for bets uh, or the rose's career uh, being pretty forceful and manipulative but um but i liked the rose between them they were very explosive um so so yeah bet frederick and alan what about you yeah, I would I, I would agree. I mean, Bette Midler was a revelation for me in this film. Uh, I I always starting into a film. Sometimes I have a little bit of a hard time coming around to a character, especially if it's someone that's well known like Bette Midler. And when she, when she first steps off the the airplane, uh, I kind of got that. And she puts her hand over her face. I kind of at, at first was taken aback at for, um, and that happens a lot for me. Just trying to get into a character. But boy, if she didn't, by the time she was down those stairs uh, and finished that, that, that scene, really just pull me in and then, um, start to pull me in, I should say. And then, then we get to the first performance and I was just hooked. Um, I mean, it, I, I think it's, I, I don't know how you can kind of qualify it because she's, she's not playing herself, but she's playing the role that she, you know, this is her life. I mean, she's a performer. So I wonder how much of the, the performance is her and how much of it is just because this is what she does. I mean, she's, how much is she really, quote-unquote, acting? So, you know, you, it, you kind of have to take that out of it, too. And I, I think you have to, rem- of course, in 1979, Bette Midler was, I, I wouldn't say she was unknown, but I, I think she was a, a stage actress. Sure, yeah. And, and, you know, we know the career she had afterward was not at all like the Rose. Uh, she was not... In fact, I think I'd say she was almost the, the opposite of a, uh, a hard-rocking, blues-oriented uh, uh, diva. I guess she was a diva in, in, in The Rose and After The Rose. Right. But I, so I, I think, actually, 
I was most impressed by her pulling off the fact that she could be a rock diva and that she could be this popular and uh, and this exciting. So yeah, I thought she was she was fantastic. I mean, I, I it's funny. I, I wasn't as big on Frederick Forrest at first. I don't know why he just kind of seemed kind of dry to me. And I was actually surprised after to find out that he was nominated. Um, but rewatching that scene, the bathhouse scene, I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, this this makes sense. But and I, I was definitely on board with Alan Bates. I mean, it seems like his performance may not hold up as well as it did for me the first time. But him as a Rudge Campbell, I thought was great. I I guess what it, what I'd like to maybe do is just transition a little bit into the characters as far as who resonated for you. Uh, in this film, either there's certain characters that you identified with, or you thought maybe were uh, overdone or underdone, or you know w- what was kind of how how they really resonated with you. I mean, aside from the acting, that maybe the characters themselves. Who did you sympathize sympathize with? I think well, I, th- I think the movie wants you to sympathize with the Rose and to see her. Uh, obviously, it's from her perspective, and I think each really those primary three characters all have their role of course there there are other characters uh smaller characters there's there's the harry dean stanton as we mentioned uh there was a a female that comes into play later that uh i don't think we that's getting towards spoiler territory but i think uh as far as i think houston really was the voice of reason i think and, and i know this isn't about performance but I did like that his performance was understated. He was not, and in fact, you could contrast him with Alan Bates and, and Rudge. Rudge was explosive, uh, you know, or he could be explosive. He was temperamental. He was abrasive. Houston was, in the bathhouse scene, he was also, he had a uh, explosive moment, but he was still uh, more laid back, more uh, understated, soft-spoken. Um, so, so I yeah I, I kind of identified with Houston some because I saw the Rose, uh, I saw her deconstruction just like she or, or her destruction I should say, just like Houston did. And as we're watching and we see her, you know, we see her insecurity, we see her fighting with drugs, uh, the whole football team thing, you know, you just want to shake her and say, "Lady, you're a rock star," you know enjoy life a little bit uh, so well, then that, that, that could be part of the problem too is you know she just indulges too much uh, into their her lifestyle I really I mean I sympathized with her quite a bit uh, with her her plight I mean I understood where she was she was and I, I saw obviously what the film wanted me to, to think and feel identify the most with her but I, I probably have an unpopular opinion that I also sympathized with Rudge in the fact that um, you know, he has to, he has maybe as many pressures as she does, and he translates that into pressure on her. And he mentions the fact that, you know, I, I have I have to make money. You know, my job is to make money for all of these people, and I'm depending on you to make that money. And the fact that, you know, he puts, you know, so much pressure on her, he doesn't go about it the right way, obviously. But I also feel for him that he, he has an undependable star and um so he's got you know all all the as i said all the all the different pressures we actually see he might be trying to sign someone else you know for the business so you know for me not being someone in this this business um and of course you don't know how 
true everything is. I just found it eye-opening and interesting how uh, this this business, you know, quote unquote, goes comes together, and the interaction between the two of them, I thought was was pretty great. I mean, you figure that's could be a, a similar kind of relationship in in other um, you know musical endeavors. Yeah, and, and you know, I I really think as far as the Rudge and Rose relationship, there are really two scenes that really uh, were important, and and it, what's interesting. It, I thought is that they were photographed somewhat similar, similarly. Uh, the first one was in that uh, New York high-rise building. It was actually, it might have been the opening scene uh, where you see them arguing about, um, well, actually, this is when she comes in and says she wants to take a year off from music. She wants a break. She wants uh, to find a man. She wants, as she put it, she wants to get laid. Um, but, of course, to a business manager who has a vested interest in, you know, his product, uh, I, I can see what you're saying, and I can understand why he would react uh, uh, maybe explosively. Well, he, he did react explosively, but I, uh, in a confrontational manner, I, I could understand that. And then the second scene was when she's gone home and they're about to play the stadium in Florida, uh, and that was also photographed with, uh, with them both elevated... Uh, and the windows in the background, you could see the stadium. And so I thought the film language in both those scenes was very important. And that's when he, they actually had another row, and he walked out on her. He actually played the tough card. Um, and so, and yeah, I actually can completely understand it. I mean, you have to rely on your talent. Uh, she's on drugs. She's carousing with uh, you know this guy that, who was a limo driver. Uh, uh, so yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. And I, I don't want to play that up too much. That you know, I, I thought he was a great character, and I went with everything that he did. But it's just to me, it's more. It just makes him not just the unlikable manager. I just felt some of the there's some looks in the film that uh, you know the camera will just kind of stay on him and his reactions of um, you know. The, I, I think I felt he was probably a deeper character, at least to me, maybe than than others watching the film. So I'll mention a couple lines, too, that I, I really enjoyed. Uh, two of my favorite lines from the film. I'll mention my second favorite probably is, uh, and it has to do with a relationship, is um, it's when she has been, you know, uh, Billy Ray has told her not to sing uh, her song, his songs anymore. And, and uh, she says, he says kind of in a loud and quick manner, he says, you go through life like it was some jack-off dream. And that's to, um, you know, Rudge to Rose. And it's true. I mean, that's kind of, um, you know, it's almost like throughout the film, she's living in a dream world and with some of the indulgences and going from place to place and, you know, the hard drinking and, and all of that. And, um, you know, and I, I don't want to say this, you know, coming off as someone that doesn't sympathize, um, but I, I do, on the, other, on the other hand, you know, like you're saying, think, you know, you just want to kind of shake her, like, you know, wake up. Um, you know, I, and I know you're in a tough place, but we've just got to, we got to get you out of this. And, you know, he kind of comes with that, that line. And my other, my other favorite was, um, when my favorite line in the whole, in the whole film that made me laugh the most was when she's on the plane and, uh, I know Houston is there with her for the first time on the plane as she's going between shows and Rose wakes up in a drunken stupor on the plane and she's, she doesn't know where she is and she looks at the clouds and she says, they all look the same. And, uh, you know, they're, yeah, they're trying to console her. And uh, um, then you know, after that, Rudge looks at Houston and says, welcome to rock and roll. And I just thought that that line right there just encapsulates this whole film of that's, you know, that's what, 
not all rockers are the same, but that's what this this life is like. You just don't know where you are. You, it's um, you know, lots of booze, lots of drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So yeah, I just wanted to share those my my two favorite lines. Yeah, well, I, I guess any fan of uh, rock music knows that uh, the rock and roll lifestyle is uh, not maybe not all it's cracked up to be, and I I think that's one thing that uh, that we see. Uh, and, and that, that line uh, on the plane uh, speaks to speaks volumes because she doesn't know where she is. She is just on a plane on her on the road going somewhere, and we, we've already established that she's exhausted, she's tired, uh, and so you you kind of wonder is even though her fix is performing for the crowd, uh, getting the attention, in a way the road is kind of a destructive. Uh, force as well uh, it hurts her and I think she sees Rudge as being part of that uh, 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 really what's keeping her down and she's almost rebelling uh, probably you know you kind of wonder what the Rose would be doing if she was not talented if it did not have a rock star but I would guess that she probably had some father issues and uh, probably she definitely is rebellious we see that when he says not to say a certain word and <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's the first thing she says. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, you know, is rock and roll, is the rock and roll lifestyle all it's cracked up to be, and is it a sickness? Is, is that what, uh, really is tearing her down, or is it herself that's tearing her down? It's not Rudge. I, I think we both agree on that point. Uh, yeah, he he doesn't help, but it it really is, uh, you know, a kind of a scathing indictment to to a point, you know, of this this lifestyle and what. The music industry can do. I mean, you really see it through their eyes, uh, but I, I think you can kind of see in the background some of the other strings that are being pulled. You know, I mean, he's the uh, he's the manager, but you've got your you know your your promotion and really what the the music business itself really those pressures. I mean, there's just so much money to be made, and you have to do these so many shows. I mean, I was talking to my wife watching this movie about how you know when a when a band or a singer goes on tour they do multiple shows i mean sometimes six and seven a week and you know i just can't imagine that kind of lifestyle that you know we as fans would glorify but you know look what it does to you know to these these people that are living that so if you read a a lot of rock and roll uh, interviews uh it they do get tired of the road that's the thing you know bands take a year off all the time actually uh these days and i'm sure that uh you know, say, uh, I'm trying to think of bands that have taken breaks. Uh, well, just, just say the Rolling Stones, even though in this day and age they're, we would understand if they want to take a break. They're pretty old. But, Are uh, they 100 know. now? No, they're close. <laughs> they're getting up there. But, uh, you know, say 20 years in the 80s, if they said, okay, well, we want to take a break for two years, I'm sure there were a lot of forces, you know, through their management, through their label, that rely on them uh and actually rudge mentions that uh, you know you're not you quitting is not just you quitting you're quitting you're, you're taking these jobs you're taking the tour away so yeah uh it is the rose does cut into the business of rock and roll and the lifestyle of rock and roll and it's i'd say it's critical of both uh they're kind of self uh yeah, I, I would agree. I, there's there's really a kind of a through line too for this this film uh, was for me was loneliness, and it's that year off that's kind of looming through the entire film. That you know, is she going to take it? Isn't she going to take it? There's kind of that conflict between the the two of them. 
um, both Rudge and, and uh, Rose uh, during the film. And you know, she says how she's never been alone in 300 years, but you know, she's really always alone. You can see that when she's after, you know, even when she's on stage, but when, after the show, you know, it's really just her and she really has a, a tough time, especially at this point, dealing with that, uh, that lifestyle. There's also, there's another uh, symmetry point that I liked quite a bit um, there where the, um, the, the football thing that's brought up, I won't really get into it, but there's, you kind of, there's a, a football thing that she refers to when she's talking to Houston. And then later in the film, that football field shows up for real. Right. Um, yep. That's know, the phone call just, scene. Yeah. Exactly. So with that, you know, it just brings it back that, um, you know, reminds, I don't know, it's probably just a, a, a small thing, but from a filmmaking uh, standpoint, I really appreciated that. I thought the football thing was a little bit of a, a little bit of a stretch, you know, and probably since we don't want to spoil it, probably shouldn't go too far into it. But, uh, but I think it, it just represented that she had baggage and that she, like you said, she was lonely off the stage. And uh, who knows, if she did take her year off, uh, that destructive lifestyle could have uh, could have continued. But I, I think the crux of the, the, the movie and her character evolution in this short period of time uh, from this until her, her going home and having her, her uh, homecoming show is, I think, the the grueling pressures of the rock and roll lifestyle and her emptiness are kind of a powder keg and lead her to this path of self-destruction. And, and I think we kind of have to, have to, uh, to, um, to, um, her territory a little bit, uh, if we're going to make a few comparisons, uh, wh what do you think? Should we warn people going forward? Let's, uh, spoil the film. Sure. Yeah. Let's do, do spoilers. All right. Well, I, I was thinking, uh, are you a big Janis Joplin fan? Not really. Uh, it's kind of surprising. It's not for never really not liking her. I just haven't really been that exposed to her. I was more of a Hendrix guy okay. <laughs> back in that, that era. So kind of a guitar god guy. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the reasons I really wanted to see this film is to see if there, of course, I don't know the parallels, but kind of see what her life uh, may have been like. So how about you? Actually, Hendrix, you could actually use him as a template as well as, uh, you know, a guitar god, uh, extremely talented, and uh, who knows why he, uh, of course, he. we know he was on, you know, every <laughs> drug imaginable uh, all the time, and usually while he was performing, so, um, so and that was his downfall. But uh, yeah, Janice was, I think, and, and I, I would say I'm a, a moderate fan, but I think her lifestyle, or her life uh, story really is pretty fascinating and the rose was intended to be a um I, I think initially it was going to be a, a biopic about Janis Joplin uh, and I think that was if I remember from the supplements that was part of uh Bette Midler didn't want to play Janis Joplin and really in, in all fairness she couldn't be Janis Joplin she's not uh, you know, she. Th there are moments where she does capture some Janice. Uh, I, I remember the last scene; she does do some "baby, baby, baby," which is a, a Janiceism. But one thing we do know about Janice is she did have that same loneliness. Um, she did. Ha she had a lot of demons. She drank, did drugs, and she did kill herself. Or she didn't kill herself, but she did die from. Um, actually, I, I don't recall off the top of my head what the cause of death was. I, I think it was an overdose. But she, um, and of course the way that the rose dies is 
an overdose, but it's on stage. So I don't. It's on stage. Right, a little more dramatic. Right. And you know, it's a movie. We can forgive that. Um, so I, I think they use the Janice story in broad strokes. But if you really think of the, you know, in the se- late seventies, that was almost an end of a, end of an era as far as rock and roll. And there were a lot of tragic stories like that um, that I think this movie does encompass. You know, you can Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, uh, uh, Mama Cass. Um, yeah. So it's glorifying the rock and roll lifestyle. We see on stage that it. She loves it. She's she eats it up on stage, but it also kind of tears her apart. So I, I think it's saying that uh, it's not all what it's cracked up to be. Yeah, it's not all uh, rainbows and unicorns, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what what'd you think of the photography of the uh, of the film? Yeah, that that was you know one of the other points that I really felt like we needed to to talk about. I mean, I it stood out to me early on how there's not really a lot of camera movements, especially early on. There's a lot of static shots, and so I, I kind of sometimes I'm just getting into a story and I kind of miss things. But in this case, I tried to focus on a little bit, really more about camera placement. Like there's that early shot that I loved where the the plane very early on the plane moves in and then the the limo. Right, I love that. In, yeah, uh, and that one that, static yeah. shot, it's just great, you know. Uh, but you know, later on, there's the some crane shots. I, I love the crane shot down to her in the phone booth. Again, I think that's why I like the the football scene so much. It is a bit heavy. I, I, I'll agree. But um, and just the probably the shot of the film to me was the uh, even outside of all of the the great um, concert footage, which we could go on about for a while, was the overhead shot of the crowd, uh, the, hel- the, the helicopter shot. That was fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, fantastic yeah. Uh, yeah, concert footage, I, I think, was just, um, I, I would say that's almost the bar uh, for great, great photography. And, and actually, if I remember, they used, uh, I think, like 10 different cinematographers, uh, one of whom, well, they, I, I, the, uh, Conrad Hall was one of them. Um, Axel Wexler, Wexler yeah. was and there. There was another gentleman that filmed Woodstock that was also there. So it was not just, you know, your art house DPs. Um, we mentioned the two Rudge scenes. Uh, I, I really liked the way those were shot. Um, and, and that wasn't just the photography, but also the location where they... Well, actually, the photography, too, because they did capture the characters, and they also captured the sprawling landscape behind them, which, uh, you know, Central Park in the first scene, and then the... Uh, stadium in the second um, and I, I also liked that it was not there was grain too uh, it was not it's kind of it's pretty prominent too I mean there's one scene in particular that it's uh, very prominent but yeah that's um, from what I was reading about the the disc um, it's a 4k scan from the original camera negative so you know for all if there's anyone out there that's not a grain fan they might not appreciate that as much this as much but it shows that if this is from the original camera negative and it's a 4k scan the film's supposed to have grain yeah and, and i think people get spoiled today because we have the sleek digital uh, you know we were talking before the cast about it follows that was shot on digital and uh you could you won't find uh, an ounce of grain in 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 that sh- that uh, I say I think it was shot in digital. I haven't uh, done my research on that, but uh, but these days, you know, probably ninety percent, if not more. Uh, in fact, very few films I think these days are shot on on film. Um, it's actually the exception right. rather than the rule. So, 
So yeah, I, I think some grain is refreshing, but then when you get to the concert footage, when you see all those colors, and I, I like that each each concert had a different color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently they were uh, many of them were shot on the same stage, uh, but just from you know from different angles, and of course they had all those those different cinematographers to bring it to life, but. It, it was interesting. I didn't really think of it this way, but you know, looking at the—I I know it was mentioned in the interview with Bette Midler how it looks like almost almost like Technicolor, and I don't know if I'd quite go there from a color standpoint. It does look great, and it might be just because most of the uh, many of the scenes take place at night, of course, with the concerts. But uh, it does—it's it, a good-looking disc. For I could sure. see the concert footage. I could see that comparison being made uh, because the concerts. You do kind of lose lose sight of the grain. It's not as noticeable because the the cover, colors are so vibrant. And, and yeah, you're right. They they actually I think they if I recall they did they they recorded two concerts live concerts and they positioned all these DPs at at various um, uh, 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 angles. And so they all. In, in fact, I I do recall when I rewound rewound one of the um, the shots. You see uh, a cameraman in the shot actually, and that's probably you know. That could have been Wexler or Hall. We don't Funny. Wexler or Hall. We don't know. Sure. Yeah, I know uh, Laszlo Kovacs was, was another. I mean, it's a, just a huge, lots of lots of people there. But, I think it looked great. Yeah. What about the, um, I mean, as far as the it was cinematography, I, I think you're right. It really just stands out. It needs to be seen for that. Uh, did you enjoy the the music, the 5.1 soundtrack? Did you get to catch it in the surround sound? Uh, yeah, I, I have a pretty good system here at home. Um, now the music, and, and that's I think where where Janice comes into play. The music is not Janice Joplin. You know, we have uh, When a Man Loves a Woman, uh, and then actually the Rose, which I, I think doesn't actually appear in the movie. It's in the end credits, but that was that that was the hit song though. But that's not really that's that's a ballad. That's more like the Bette Midler that we. Um, you know that, that song could be in Beaches. I, she pr- right. probably still plays it live. Um, but the other songs actually were more, rock, you know, guitar rock. Uh, some bands that came to mind. Uh, I, I'm not really a fan, but uh, Heart was one I I, I thought of. Uh, yeah. Maybe a little more bluesy. Uh, but no, I, I like the music. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't buy the soundtrack personally. It's probably not quite my taste. But I thought. Uh, I, I think the the more blues oriented songs, like when she does when a man loves a woman, um, that that is one I appreciated more. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. I mean, I, I did watch it in five point one and did appreciate the the music. I'm not a big Bette Midler fan, but when you pop in the disc, the rose is the song that plays, and you kind of see some con- concert right. footage, and you know, like you said, it's the the end credits. But I was, you know, more than the music, I was just taken by her stage performance. You know, whether she was, whether this really comes from her as a performer, uh, it just it felt like a mix of, you know, she's certainly acting some. I'm sure she doesn't act like that normally, but she was talking about how she was, you know, doing some training and she was acting, kind of acting like a panther moving around the stage. And mm-hmm. um, as I said before, that's really when I was hooked was that first stage performance is like, okay, Bette Midler, this is your show. And you're, she, she did a great job. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I, I liked her stage movements. Uh, she, I, very not, uh, not very Bette Midler-like. Well, I haven't been to a, a Bette Midler show, but I'm, I'm assuming... Uh, yeah, I don't think she's gonna do beach. Uh, the wind be beneath my wings. Was that it? Uh, Panther style. Um, but another thing I liked was her 
pre-song banter. Yeah, we've already talked about the uh, the bad word that she wasn't supposed to say. But you know, there's there's actually one uh, one sequence where she talks about how uh, you know it, it's a very feminist speech, and and actually I, I might have to pull up the clip and play it. But uh, it, it's about how uh, how you know it's about women, and uh, and she actually tries to rally the crowd, and uh, um, and 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 she even says, "Oh, I hear there are a few women in the house," and and then she talks about how how bad men are, and and she references catching them catching uh, her men. She, oh, I remember. She said she can smell the man. Uh, she can smell another woman on a man miles away. Do you remember that line? Yeah, and that was in a, at a concert. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd eat, eats it up, too. Um. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say to me, they say, Rose, it's the first time you ever heard the blues. And you know what I tell them? I tell them the day I was born. You know why? You know why? Because I was born a woman. Ah. Oh, we got some noisy females in the house tonight. Anything from the uh, the, the supplements uh, that stood out to you? I thought we'd just talk a little bit about the disc. I know there was a... There's an interview with Midler, interview with uh, Mark, Mike Rydell, the director, uh, interview with the director of cinematography, um, Zygmunt, I believe his last name is. Yeah, I'm not gonna, not gonna try that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there was uh, Jean, Jean Shalit, I, I remember the, uh, the hair. Um, I, I've seen a few Jean Shalits on, on Criterion, so I wonder if they have a, some sort of deal there. Um, yeah, it, it was very interview heavy, and I, I like that. Uh, I liked. I think I appreciated the um, the uh, the cinematography interview the most because I th- I think that was the most interesting aspect. Um, uh, there was also a commentary uh, with Rydell, but it was an older it was an older commentary. I, did Did you get a chance to uh, listen to that? It's the one I didn't get to. Okay. No. Well, yeah, and he, he they one thing that did strike me uh, going back to the Janus is they they actually in, on many occasions in the commentary and actually in the interviews. They make it a point to minimize that that the the fact that the, they say this is not um, a Janis Joplin uh, biopic and uh, right. Yeah, it's interesting with that how it, looking at the two interviews, I noted how Bette Midler said that she was the one that didn't want to do a Janis Joplin biopic, and Mark Rydell said that he didn't want to do a Janis Joplin biopic. But early on, that's how it was conceived was as a Janis right. Joplin biopic. So I'm like. I wonder if you know one of them really is the you know the one that made the the final decision, but it's kind of interesting. You also kind of wonder also if they wanted to distance themselves, you know, when they saw what Bet had and and uh, you know maybe they, um, I think the way they put it is they used the broad strokes of uh, Janice's life, um, but it might have been intended as they shot to be more of a, a Janice story. Uh, there were a couple other other things I remember from the commentary is that. Um, they did talk about the, the concerts, and they shot twice uh, for two hours without interruption. Um, so those, all that stage banner, all those panther moves, those were all, you know, that was really two days of shooting. Uh, right. So, I, and, I, and they said that Bette actually had to become that rock star. And she had to, and, and they brought, uh, I, think they, I, I think they used a radio program to get the crowd. 
So she had to actually win over the crowd. And, and I'm sure there was something, uh, you know, the crowd probably knew they were going to be in a movie. And, and there was probably a warm you know, clap uh, on these occasions kind of guy. And, um, but yeah, I, I did think knowing that about the performances and knowing that she only had two shots uh, and probably with some rehearsals, I was even more impressed with that. Um, and I, I think if she had used this as a launching pad, she could have become a rock star. Right. Yeah, it's interesting how that didn't really uh, come to be, especially since this was a, you know, it was a, a, a hit for her. So I think she sold, this album, the soundtrack sold like a million copies. It went platinum from what I saw. So Another thing that's interesting is I know they're, they've been trying to get a couple of Joplin, pro, uh, Joplin, Joplin proje- projects off the ground. I think there might be one in production with um, Amy Adams as uh, Joplin. Have, have you heard about this? Oh, I haven't heard about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, from a from from a way that the actresses look, I mean, you'd mentioned you know Bette Midler playing Janis Joplin. It'd just be hard to kind of make that distinction. She doesn't look like her, but you know, Amy Adams, I could see maybe if they. If, I think Janis Joplin's kind of taller, if I remember. So yeah, and 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 kind of skinny and has yeah. Actually, I think Amy Adams could pull it off. Um, if I remember right, I I think these this project's been in development for a while, and I think for a while there were dueling projects. And at one time, Lindsay Lohan was uh, in the in the uh, rumored. Now that was probably before. <laughs> that was sober Lindsay Lohan. Well, I was going to say maybe that would fit, you know, with her lifestyle. Jim, yeah, uh, anyway. maybe she should remake the Rose. Actually, <laughs> maybe she is the Rose. Actually, <laughs> right, right. That's funny. Yeah, the uh, there was um, for the supplements. There was one. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed a lot the interviews, and I really enjoyed getting to know Mark Rydell a little bit because I haven't seen any of his films, uh, surprisingly, any of his other ones. And I really want to see On Golden Pond, especially. But uh, I liked how he kind of pointed out the relationship with the c- cinematography is like a partnership. I mean, you kind of dream that it's that way, but it's nice to kind of have that um, said by by him. I also liked how he mentioned how he was friends with Marlon Brando early on, really before he became a star, you know, when he was a stage actor. So that was cool. And uh, also talking about Ilya Kazan was a teacher of Rydell. So um, really great to hear that interview. I I really sometimes when I'm watching something uh, behind the scenes or a movie, I kind of key off of what my wife really tends to gravitate towards. And I think she enjoyed both of those interviews quite a bit. It was really taken with uh, Mark Rydell. I can, I can see how he would be an actor's uh, director. You know, I think he's that kind of guy, really, uh, really, you know, supportive. So. Interesting is, and and I, th- I think this comes to the conversation on the Criterion. You wouldn't think of him as an auteur. Um, I, I, this was really, I, I wouldn't say a one hit wonder, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> but because uh, on Golden Pond, I, and, and I have seen on Golden Pond, and it's uh, tonally extremely, you know, that's uh, really a, uh, I don't know if Oscar bait. Polar opposite? Yeah, pretty much, oh, yeah. Sure. It's it's an, an, a mature uh, adult film, uh, and by adult I mean uh, maybe older people uh, would well, it actually portrays older people, uh, Catherine Hepburn and uh, Henry Fonda in their old, and I think one of them actually won an Oscar for that as well. I think I think it was Fonda. Um, I, I remember it was a good movie, but it was nothing like this. And uh, so I, I don't, and, and from a Criterion standpoint, you don't see a lot of non-auteurs, uh, you know. So I, and in fact, I remember when this was announced, a lot of people were a little upset 
uh, because this it's more of a mainstream movie. Uh, Bette Midler is definitely no uh, 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 she's no Jean Moreau or uh, Catherine Deneuve. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but I, do you think it was worth Criterion treatment? I, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Aaron, because I absolutely do. I, for me, Criterion is not just about the auteurs. It's not just about, I mean, for, for me, number one is bringing international movies to uh, our shores, things that we might not see. But something like this that should be, to me, rediscovered uh, or discovered for the first time, like, like it was for me, concert film like this, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just... I, I love it. I love the fact that they bring movies like this. It's only got a 6.9 on IMDb. And, um, you know, I'm going to ask you what you would grade it. Uh, I guess we might as well give our grades now, but I, I'd give it higher than that. I mean, if I was going to grade it, I'd probably give it a, you know, IMDb score goes up to 10. I'd probably give it a 7.5. Actually, I, I, g- I gave it a 7. So, uh, but, you know, that's compared to the masterpieces. And, and I do tend to, you know, it's relative. Uh, you know, seven compared to La Ventura. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, but I, but I. One thing I like about Criterion, and I, I, I say this a lot, and I'll probably say it more as the podcast goes on, is they tell a story about the story, and I thought they did tell a good story about this, and it, and it wasn't just the the qualities of the movie, and, and it is a good movie, uh, maybe not a great movie, uh, but they they did capture the the Janus aspect, they kept captured the cinematography, um, and I think. Bette Midler is a, whether she's an art, artistic actress or not, uh, I think she won me over. She's a good actress, and, and I'd say even her later roles, even if they're not always my taste, I, I think she did fine, yeah. So, you know, I, I was glad to see it in the collection. I think it belongs. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, it was a surprise for me. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it, and I saw it, and I'm kind of like, ah, Bette Midler, The Rose, but... It's one of those ones where we, you know, we, we popped it in and I, I was just, I was, I was taken with it overall. I mean, I can see, you know, people from a, maybe a, you know, filmmaking standpoint, it's not uh, completely rich or resonant, but I, I took, as I mentioned, you know, before a lot of pieces from this film. So I really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, yeah, no, I think oh, and, and another point is also Criterion does a lot of concert films. Um, documentaries and in fact we know that one is coming out uh, at some point uh, uh, the uh, Bob Dylan uh, documentary Don't Look Back has been uh, teased so uh, and there's been a lot of uh, there's been Monterey Pop there's been you know Jimi Hendrix there's been Gimme Shelter and so I I, I can't think of any other narrative uh, or fiction rock uh, uh, movies in the collection I, there may be some but uh so th- but this is an outlier, but I think it's worthy. So. Yeah, it's nice to see them kind of expand that. And, you know, they haven't released any for a little while, so timing is good. Don't look back coming out and, uh, you know, at some point whenever they announce that. So, yeah. Any any final thoughts before we, we wrap up on The Rose? Aaron? I think this has been fun. I think uh, I enjoyed uh, hashing out this movie with you, so I'm, I'm looking forward to many more. So, um, uh, and, and I think it's... The Rose is a good movie. It's a good start, I think. Um, uh, maybe not the most dense movie. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I hope folks do check it out, though. I mean, whether uh, I, I think it's worth buying the Blu-ray again for the transfer. Uh, it looks and sounds great. I'd recommend at least watching it with some headphones on so you hear the music. But you know, if you can get it, 
you know, in some 5.1 surround sound, um, it, you'll really get the, the concert footage that way. So And the extras, the supplements really are good. Now, if they had put this out with no commentary and with maybe the Gene Shalit extra, I would probably not be as uh, impressed. In fact, I probably would say, Criterion, you wasted... You, you, you could have given this one to uh, an Antonioni or a Tarkovsky movie, but <laughs> right, right, but, right. But no, they 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 treated it well. It's nice to see that you know you you mentioned the commentary is old, but all the other interviews are new. So I just I love seeing you know actors and filmmakers come back and to a movie and deliver something new for Criterion. So and yeah, kudos to Bette Midler too. She uh, Criterion is probably not you know I, I doubt if she has a collection that. <laughs> even a fractional uh, collection compared to ours, but um, but she came in this year and did an interview, and I think that you know that's important. She's a big star, so it's fun. Exactly, give some clout there. So. Yeah. So all right. Well, cool. Right. Well, that's uh, that's that's been this. I'm Mark Herney, and this has been Aaron West. We've been talking to you about Criterion Collections. Uh, release of the rose and so we'll wrap it up there we'll look forward to talking to you next well actually mark real quick uh do you want to tell people where they can find you uh oh thank you for that uh yeah i'm mark herney you can find me online on twitter i'm at mark herney at m-a-r-k-h-u-r-n-e is the best place there uh, i also do a monthly stint at uh, first time watchers and the in session film podcast if you listen to those so uh, but definitely the best place to find me is on twitter and you aaron I am also on Twitter. Funny that you mentioned that. Uh, I'm AWest505 uh, on Twitter. Um, of course, my website, Criterion Blues, which is probably where a lot of you are listening to this cast, so you hopefully you're aware of it. But uh, as you know, my project is, is to write uh, blogs about uh, all of these movies. And in fact, I did write one about The Rose, uh, I think it was a couple months ago. Um, so anyway, this has been fun, Mark. Uh, next time, I think we're looking at uh, broadcast news, is it? Broadcast news it is. Let's do it. All right. 80s film. All right. Take care, Mark. Take care, and thank you. Some say love.